this year, I started a series and I talked to you about one question. The question was, how do you build a future? And my answer was, number one, you change the way you think. You build a new mind. The second thing I talked to you about was not only do you build a new mind, but then you build a new approach in, in the next month in February. And in March, I started talking to you about how you build with clear convictions. You cannot just build. You have to be clear. These are the things I do. These are the things I don't do. You have a clear understanding about building wealth. You understand the importance of that. If you're going to build a future, you've got to have resources. Then this month, my challenge is that you build with passion. If you're going to build, you can't just build with a new way of thinking, with a new approach, with, with strong values or strong convictions. If you don't have passion, it all falls apart because passion is what drives it. Passion is what makes it all work and come together. And there are a lot of people that don't have passion. They're just kind of existing. What makes a marriage last over the long period of time is not just how good they look and how nice she is and how none of that not is passion. It's, it's the ability to have something that um, Evelyn Duckworth calls grit. Can you say that word with me, please? Come on. Grit. At rickytemple.com, if you go to my website, my personal website, rickytemple.com, click on resources. We've listed for you the books I'm reading. And uh, one of the books I'm reading is Grit by Evelyn Duckworth. Recommend, did I say Angela Duckworth? I'm, I'm, I'm going to get that right. Angela. Everybody say Angela. Amen. Got that name wrong. Angela Duckworth. And Angela does a great job of defining um, grit as having passion and being a person who is who perseveres who presses beyond what's convenient it's not just a five-minute commitment it's a long-term commitment and so this book was recommended to me and I, I I've started reading it and I have been I've been just raptured by it because of the, the information in it but what I want to do today is talk specifically about Matthew chapter 21 which is where we we find ourselves on Palm Sunday and it's the week before the crucifixion. And in Matthew 21, uh, there is this description of people who are excited about Jesus. They're thrilled. But here's what I want you to understand. It's temporary. They're passionate, but they're not passionate for the long term. They have a very short attention span. So today's topic is about building with temporary passion. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Building with temporary passion. Now, you know about this. You know about this. You've dated people like this. You've had friends like this. You've, been, you've had employees like this. They're excited on the first day of the job. They're excited on the second day of the job. You've had students like this in your class. Oh, I can't wait to get in your class. Oh, it's going to be exciting. And then when you give them the homework, they don't like you anymore. Everybody say temporary, temporary. Passion. passion. And what I've learned is that sometimes people are passionate but they're not really attentive. They have a very short attention span. And so what I did was I gave you a definition for attention span. It's the length of time during which one, such as an individual or a group, is able to concentrate, big word, or remain interested. How long do you concentrate on any one thing? And how long do you remain interested? You're going to find in Matthew 21, they're really excited and they're really focused on Christ. This whole idea of Palm Sunday was built around their excitement. The problem is it just falls apart short in short order. While researching this whole idea, the term attention span just kept wallowing around in my research. And I ran across this, this incredible debate that I thought was interesting. Now, I'm not siding with the debate. I just thought it was fascinating. 
And the debate centers around the idea that goldfish have a better attention span than we do. That, that's what the, 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 the Microsoft Corp, they did this study, and they said after eight seconds, they believe, uh, let me read the whole thing, the average attention span for the nationally ill-focused goldfish is nine seconds. But according to the study from Microsoft, people now generally lose concentration after eight seconds highlighting the effects of an increasingly digitized lifestyle on the brain. Microsoft found that since the year 2000, we've dropped, watch this now, or, or about when the mobile revolution began, the average attention span dropped from 12 seconds to 8 seconds. Now that's what they said. Now some people thought that's crazy. Look at the second point. Some think goldfish are not a fair comparison. Attention span is not a concrete state of mind that we can throw a blanket definition over. Moreover, it's certainly not something we can make an apples-to-apples -apples comparison with. So I, some people say, that's, that's a bunch of baloney. There's no way you can do that. And then they go on to say, surely a goldfish can concentrate on food for nine seconds. I mean, so they have their little arguments. But my, my, the bottom line is in point three here. Some believe that the issue is not goldfish, but the reality of our attention span. So whether you agree with the goldfish study or not, who cares? It's not important. Here's what's important. Research supports the notion that paying attention and persisting on task are foundational skills that are crucial early in life and continue to positively predict. Pause for a second. Research shows that your attention stand, the, your ability to stay focused on one thing can positively predict a variety of social and academic, academic outcomes throughout the childhood and into adulthood. In other words, if I really want to know what's going to happen to you, I can look at your attention span. And that will predict whether you're going to finish college or not. It's going to predict whether you succeed in business or not, whether you will get to a closing or not, or whether you're just going to run around and pretend you're doing business, but you never finish. How good is your attention span? That's the big argument. And I thought about that because when you get down to Matthew 21, you find an example of passionate preparation. People who are really excited, they do everything that Jesus says, but in the long run, it falls apart. And so when you read this, I want you to think with me, is this my life? Look at chapter 21, verse 1. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethage at, Mount, at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Lose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughters of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey and a colt, which is a male donkey or less than, less than four years old, and the fowl, which is a female donkey. So I want you to go. This is all in Zechariah 99. I want you to go, and I want you to get this donkey. Now, they don't know what he's doing. They're not clear about any of the things that are about to unfold. They're excited. They go. They're passionate about Christ. They follow instructions without clarity. Go get a donkey. Okay, this guy's got a donkey two donkeys, okay, bring them back, okay, I'm going to ride on these donkeys, and they're going, okay, okay, we're riding on a donkey for what? No one knows. This is not clear to them, but they're passionate, and they're committed, so they go, and they, they this, and it's passionate preparation. 
Notice with me now, when they get there, everything incredibly uh, is incredible. Verse 6, so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and, and they laid their clothes on them, referring to the donkeys, and set him on the donkeys. Verse 9, 8, and a very great multitude, to their surprise, I'm sure, spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees. This is all spontaneous. So they get the donkeys. They bring the donkeys. Jesus gets on the donkey, and he's riding through town. And the people go nuts. They're screaming out his name. They're praising his name. They're shouting, you know, these great things at him. It's amazing. So others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. You got to imagine this. People are climbing trees. They're chopping stuff down. It's, just, it's chaotic. It's hundreds of people. Verse 9, then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, are saved now to the son of David. Now, this is amazing. This is unique stuff. They're, they're calling him son of David. They're talking to him like he's a king. They're saying save now, which everybody kind of knew that was prophetic. And so there's this whole thing going on, and everybody is, um, is incredibly passionate. But watch what happens. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they said, Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. All the city, all Jerusalem, the whole town, in a uproar. And they said, who is this? That's the question, right? Verse 11, so the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. They are overwhelmed with passion. You cannot imagine this on a Sunday and then crucifying him a few days later. Here's the question. What happened? This is temporary passion. This is temporary excitement. And this, my friend, is something that surprises all of us. While preparing for this, I just had to ask myself, Temple, is that you? Are you a person who gets really excited and you're really thrilled? I'm going to serve God and I'm really excited and I'm all this, and then all of a sudden, in a few days, it's gone. You got your Bible open, you got your notes open, you're all dressed up, you're looking holy and focused. Oh, God, I love you. And then tomorrow is, you can't remember anything. If you notice with me in Matthew 27, verse 22, things change. And, and by the way, let me just say this to you. Depending upon how you count the days, there are a lot of people who struggle, and they say, Jesus died on Wednesday. Some believe he died on Friday. Now, I believe he died on Friday. I called my friends in Israel. I did. I called them this week. I said, hey, tell me what you guys think. And they said, well, because of the calendar days, it wasn't three, because Jesus was in the grave for three days. So people who believe he died on Wednesday, they're trying to count Thursday, Friday. So they're trying to count, you see, three days. They said, no, he died Friday. That's one day. Saturday is another day, and he rose on the third day. And so... I believe he rose on Friday. I believe in Good Friday. I believe that, that basically Palm Sunday is, is the day that, he, that this happened. And so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, by Friday, they're saying these amazing words. Listen to what they say by Friday. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They've dragged him before Pilate. And here's what they say. Let him be crucified. How does that happen? How does that happen? 
How does, how does a person be so focused and so passionate about you? you, you you're going to save us now. You're the, you're the son of David, and you're the prophet from God. You're fulfilling prophecy, lowly riding on a mule. We saw that verse. We know you're fulfilling it. And then all of a sudden, a few days later, crucify him. And it doesn't just say that. Watch this, verse 23. The governor said, why? What did he do? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, let him be what? Crucified. Wow. That's just surprising. In fact, when the Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult or a riot was rising, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. He hasn't done anything. You see to it. You crucify him. I'm not. Didn't, didn't watch this. And, and the people answered and said, his blood, read this with me, please, come on. His blood be on us and on our children. And that's been true. For me, the part that's the most amazing is how sudden it was. Now, you've been there. You understand this. You, you understand how people can love you one minute, and then a few days later, they struggle with you. Now, my, my question was, why? I was, why? 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 Well, I gave you three reasons why. Now, I, I was going to, you know, talk about why I think people have a short, short attention spans, and, and, but I thought, no, no, let the Bible speak. Here, let me give you Pilate's response to why he thought all this happened. In verse 18, and for some reason, I just never noticed this, but this is what Pilate said. For he, Pilate, knew that they had handed him over, this is in chapter 27, verse 18, because of envy. Say that word with me, please, come on. Envy. They struggled with Jesus because they envied him. Here's a guy who comes in town and turns the whole city upside down. Here's a guy who gets more attention than they did. As a matter of fact, when Jesus came in on the donkey and everybody was screaming. They, the Pharisees and the leaders said, you better stop these people. And he said, no, if, I don't, if they don't cry out, the rocks will. They were furious. They could not, they did not like the fact that he had more advantage than they had. It's amazing what envy will drive you to do. It's amazing how it can drive you to not like people on your job. It can drive you to fire people unfairly can drive you to be incredibly unkind. But that wasn't the only reason. The second reason was confusion. They tell us why they did it. If you look at the same chapter, 27, verse 7, I'm sorry, chapter 19, rather, of John, verse 7, the Jews answered him in John 19, 7, we have a law. According to our law, he ought to die because he made himself to be who? Son of God. They never could accept they were completely confused by his claims that he was the son of God. That bothered them. And you know what? It bothers people today. You're fine if you talk about Jesus like he's a prophet. But if you say that Jesus was God manifested in the flesh, we have a problem. There, you know, there, there's a lot of groups who struggle with that crossing. They, they are fine as long as you say he's a prophet. But I want you to listen to what John 1 and 1 said. In the beginning was the Word. I just put the note there for you. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Here's the problem. Verse 14 
of John chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's when, it's when you understand that if Jesus is not God manifested in the flesh, if Jesus is not God who stepped into flesh to save us, then who saved us? A man? Think about this for a second. Here's the, here's the real deal. Here's the behind the scene truth. We were so jacked up, so messed up, and so lost, and God cares so much for us, he says, you know, I need to do this myself. And you might say, well, how could God be man? When you're talking about God, I got a lot of questions. How can he talk to me and you at the same time and say different things? How can he be in my house and your house at the same time? I have no problem with God confusing me. I can trust him in my confusion. Come on, say amen. Come on, amen. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I can trust him when I'm confused. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make some case that explains it all to you. I'm just simply saying this is what they said. See, they understood in their, th- in their th- theology, God could not have a son the same way that Ricky Temple has a son. He didn't have a wife. He didn't have a son in that same sense. He's a unique son. He is, he is God who stepped in flesh who came to die for us. And, it, and really, it was a rejection of God when they rejected Christ. And there's a profound message here that explains why they did it. They said why they did it. Pilate said they envied him. They said because of who you say you are. And then there's a third reason. Because of the values he challenged. Jesus did not agree with their values. In John chapter 8, verse 44, there is a crossing. You know, there's always that moment where things kind of crack. It just kind of falls apart. And there is a moment in Jesus' experience with the leaders that fell apart. And in John chapter 8, you can read it on your own later, there's this exchange of conversation. And they're talking about who their father is and their heritage. And they said, we're we're Abraham's descendants. And Jesus is going back and forth. And he says, it doesn't matter because you don't live like Abraham. And And then they say these words to Jesus. They say these words. They say, well, at least we were not born of fornication. Now, when you start talking about people's mama, you got a problem. And in John chapter 8, that's what happens. Because they were saying, we don't believe that Mary had some special birth. Joseph was your daddy. That's what they were saying. And so this is a little town. And you know how little towns are. Everybody has an opinion. And even though Jesus grew up in the town, was a carpenter in the town, and they saw him all their life, I want you to understand, this is personal. And so in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus makes a statement to them that cuts to the core. Here's what he said to them. You are of your father, the devil. Those are fighting words. Your mama, you from the devil. I mean, it's just bad. And here's what he says. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. It is hot. The crucifixion of Christ was something that was tied to a whole lot of issues. Envy being at the top, confusion, and then values being challenged. And they said, get rid of him. What's amazing is, it's right after they praise him. It's amazing how the people who had the palm trees and the palm branches didn't stand up for him. It's amazing how the crowd that was so loud before was quiet now. How do you manage temporary passion in your life? How do you manage the times when you see this manifested in your job or career? 
They're passionate about something and then they're not. Here's what I've learned. People have a short attention span. And I have to learn how to manage that and not, not be lost in that. And there's a lesson for me. And the lesson is very simple. Last week the lesson was you got to have a John the Baptist in your life. A person that you can look at and say that's an example of passion. The best way to have passion is to see it up close. To see somebody who's committed and determined like a John the Baptist. And I asked you last week, who was your John the Baptist? Who was the person that modeled passion for you in life? This week, the goal is to show you the danger of a short attention span. You can become passionate for God. You can come to church and cry today and raise your hand and all that. But if you're not careful, one day, two days, three days, four days, five days, it's gone. And then we don't see you for a month. You can pick up your sermon notes, but you won't pick up a Bible for the next month. You'll pick up other books. You'll talk on your phone. You'll text. You'll do everything else. But here's the question. Why is your passion so short-term? Why is it so temporary? And can God rely on you? Is he saying, oh, this is another five minutes? Give them 30 minutes, they'll forget everything. They'll leave this building, go into the parking lot, and cuss out their wife. <laughs> they'll be mad again in 30 seconds. It doesn't matter. All you have to do is challenge their values. Call them out on something. Call them out on something and their commitment to you will drain out. I know this is true. You know, one of the things I've learned, people ask me, they say, can I mentor you? Mentor me. And I say, you don't really want me to mentor you. I said, yeah, no, I really want you. Don't want you to be. <laughs> I said, no, no, you don't. Well, how much money do you make? How's your finances? Let's talk about your marriage. Let's talk about you working out, your exercises. Let's talk about your life. When last time you've been to the doctor? Ah, you're all up in my business. See, I tell you, you don't want me in your life. You don't want me in your life because if you're really, and here's, here's my missing link in my life. I wish I had somebody who asked me that. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. I don't know that I wanted somebody to challenge my values like that. It's when people cross over into your life and they start pushing up against things and you don't quite understand everything they're saying. Parents, you get this, right? When you're raising children, no, flip it. When you were a child and your parents said things to you that you didn't quite get, like clean up your room right now. Listen, we're going to be here all day. Why is right now important? Do your homework right now. Why is that important? Go to college and finish right now in the next four years. Let's get this over with. College is going to be there. They've been there for 100 years. I can go anytime. It confused you. Here's a good one. Don't go in there and end up with a nine-month surprise. You heard that one before? I said it in code. Did you get that? How many think you got it? Don't raise your hand. Okay, yeah. See, you didn't understand any of that. It's confusing to you, trying to rob me of my life, trying to stop me from having fun. I want to go out and have fun. I want to go party tonight. I want to, my friends don't have no curfew. Why I got to have a curfew? I need to be able to come out. But don't worry. You know, it's so fun. I laugh now. I look back at how I used to think like that. Used to be a little confused, you know. And uh, now, man, I'm going to bed at 7.30. Praise God. I'm in the bed. <laughs> Eight o'clock, nine o'clock, <laughs> party what? What? All you do is walk around, stand around, talk. Don't do anything. You may dance for a couple minutes, but you're too you're out of shape. You can't dance long. So you know what I'm saying? You just, just, just you get drunk. You can't see. You're getting drunk. What's, what, why do you get so drunk? You can't see. You can't think. You, just, you can't hardly talk. You, 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 Jesus, help. Come on, say amen if you're with me, church. Come on. But you don't want anybody pushing up on your life. So you cut them off. 
you passionately committed to being mentored for a season. But you don't want anybody to know the real story about your life. You don't want God to put it up on the screen, let everybody see where you've been last night. Say amen. You don't want nobody to understand the real you. So my question is, are you temporarily passionate? Are you willing to really rise to a new level? Next week I'll talk about it. It's called passionate sacrifice. It's the kind of sacrifice that's driven by, watch this, nobody forcing you. Jesus went to the cross and nobody forced him. Here's the verse. No man takes my life. I lay it down. And it wasn't for five minutes and it wasn't for a few minutes. It was for eternity. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, he said. I want you to hear this and I'm done. I have lived my life and I have seen a lot of people have passion. I've seen people get excited about the Bible, excited about God, excited about work, excited about school, excited about marriage, excited about everything. Excited, excited, excited. But I have seen more people lose their excitement than maintain it. It is always surprising when people say this to me, are you still preaching? Wow. Here's a big one. Are you still married to the same person? Wow. I get that more often than not. Wow. Because here's what, here's what they know. More friends than they know have, than they can count, started out coming down this aisle all excited and all thrilled and tears in their eyes and crying, but it did not last long. And here's their challenge. They don't know how to have long-term passion. But here's what I believe. If you open your heart and you allow Jesus to build in you what I'm going to talk about next week, you can have passion for the rest of your life. That's my prayer. I want long-term passion. Come on, say amen. I want long-term passion. Come on, shout amen if you're here in the church. Come on, amen. I mean that. I want to be a prayer. I want to be a prayer warrior for long-term. I want to be a giver for long-term. I want to be faithful for long-term. When you see me and I'm 97 years old and I'm walking strong, I'm not going to be limping. I'm going to be walking strong at 97, I pray. And when you do, you say, Temple, are you still? I said, I'm still going in Jesus' name. I'm still believing that God's strength is in my life. Come on, say amen if you're hearing me, church. Stand up on your feet. We got to get out of here. Father, I thank you today for all that has been said and done. Passion. Lord, that's infectious. People that are on fire, they used to call it. Those words of Jeremiah, he got tired one day. He got tired of being persecuted. He got tired of having challenges. And he said, I'm not prophesying anymore. I'm not preaching in your name anymore. I'm tired being mocked and laughed. But oh God, all of a sudden, Jeremiah said, your word was like a fire. Oh God, it was shut up in my bones. It was a fire and I, and I found myself. <laughs> I ain't preaching no more. Oh, thus saith the Lord. This kind of came out all of a sudden. He kept burping out the word and before you know it, he was on fire again. And Lord, I pray the fire would light unto your people. That they would begin to leave with a passion and a love for God and a love for the things of God. And Lord, I, I thank you for healing people today. May they leave this place and say, my life will never be the same. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today, you say, Pastor Rick, I know what you said spoke to me. I need to, I need to be passionate about serving God. And what you said 
I get, and I have not been. I have been a victim of temporary passion. But today, I want you to pray a prayer for me. And I want to leave this place right with God and clear in my vision. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you want me to pray for you, you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want you to pray for me. I, I need you to touch me. I need God's hand to touch me today. With every head bowed and you want to give your life to Jesus, you want me to pray a prayer for you, raise your hand. I know who I'm praying for. Who am I praying for? I see you. Anybody else I'm praying for? I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Who else am I praying for? Let me see who I'm praying for. Who am I praying for? I see you over there. I see a couple of you over there. Father God, I pray for all these whose hands are lifted and those whose hearts are lifted. I pray for those in Jesus' name at home today. May this be the time that they say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you. And Lord God, I pray this will be that transforming moment that will make them, Lord, give them a chance to start a new life and a new beginning. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. amen. Jesus died so you can be free. Aren't you glad you're free? Come on, give him a big hand. I'm glad you came today.